Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. I get to finish the last part of our Making Changes sermon series today. And if you've been with us or you haven't been with us, let me just get you caught up here. Because we've been talking about change a lot. We started off the series talking about transitional changes in our church. Like I told you, Pastor Chris and Heather planted the bridge 11 years ago. And they poured their heart and their soul in there. And, and, they, and they feel like God is calling them out. And so I know he continues to reiterate it. I'm going to do it again too. There is no drama, okay? They are truly people that are being obedient to God. And God's just stirring their heart to go and do something different. And so we are transitioning in. My wife and I, Meg, and our two kids, uh, we talked about transitional change, us stepping into this new lead pastor role here uh, in the next few weeks and months. I talked about personal change, right? Changes to your family, changes to your job, changes to things in your personal life. And then Chris took it a step farther last week and talked about literal change. We are in a change shortage right now. Isn't that crazy? Like you go to the store and like, yeah, we can't make any change or anything like that. Uh, But he talked about change and finances and money and all that good stuff. And I'm going to finish it today talking about recycled change. When I was in college, I set out to do something new for me. I learned how to play guitar. All right. My wife was a music. She's my wife is smirking right now. And you'll know why in just a second. Okay. My wife is a musical, beautiful being, all right? If you see her arm, she's got a tattoo of a songbird all in music notes. It's super beautiful. She is like a musical person. She can sing like an angel. She can play keys. She's awesome, all right? And I've always wanted to be that guy who just like gets alone with God and plays guitar. It's going to be awesome. And I'm like, you know what? If I'm going to sweep this girl off her feet... I'm going to learn how to play guitar. Because here I, I envision myself walking down campus, strumming a guitar. Everyone's like looking at me and pulls out their phones. And I'm like, she's going to think I'm the best thing since sliced bread. So I set out. I went into, we went to a liberal arts college. If you just looked and sneezed in one direction, you hit four different musicians. And I'm like, hey, listen, I don't know how to play guitar, but you're really good. So you teach me how to play guitar. He's like, yeah, for sure. So I get this guitar from somebody else on campus. They let me borrow it. He brings me like all this different music. He's like, okay, I'm going to break this down really simple for you. There are these things called chords. And I'm like, yeah, you can plug into the wall. No, chords, okay? C-H-O-R-D-S, okay? Sounds good. He goes, you only need to know four of them to do every single worship song that exists. And I'm like, sweet, I can learn four things. So he started like teaching me G and and E and F. Uh, Clearly it worked out. She's shaking her head. You see where this story is going, okay? So I'm like, okay, I got the four chords. He showed me the fingers. If you ever learn how to play guitar, it's like the most foreign thing. You have to contort your hand four different directions, all right? So I felt like I walked around campus like this for a long time, like a claw. And so I did it, and it's, it's hard. When you learn guitar, like you get calluses on your fingers, it hurts. It was not a pleasant experience. And so finally, after like a month, I got to where I could play like three different chords. And so there was this one day, it was over Christmas break, I went home, and I was practicing this worship song. It was like, 
Chord, 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 chord. And I was like, okay, cool, I'm getting it. Chord, 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 nope. Chord, chord, nope. And so I, I did this in my room for about 30 minutes. And then I stopped. And I hear my dad in the living room, thank God. <laughs> and I'm like, noted. So I go back to camp, I do the same thing. It was not working, all right? And so I learned something through this whole process. I can't play guitar at all. I have no rhythm. I have no beat. I have nothing, okay? And here's the deal. If you want to be a pastor, you need four things. A love for Jesus, number one. Connoisseur of coffee, number two. I don't drink coffee. Skinny pants. I heard God that, all right? (laughs) Two out of three ain't bad. And then play guitar. So I'm back to 50%. All right? So I know I'm stepping into a lead pastor role, but you just got to know I don't have the four criteria that you need. All right? But I'm going to do my best. And so I learned, I'm going to take a drink of water. Is that cool, everybody? I realized I opened this three times. I never took a drink out of water. I learned the whole process that I can't learn play guitar. I'm not musical in the slightest. At all. At the core of who I am, I am not a musical person. I've accepted that. I've done that. And I struggled with that for a long time because I truly wanted to be the guy that could play guitar and could like just serenade my wife beautifully and step on a stage and lead our church in worship. But I've realized I can't. And I've realized that I'm not supposed to. Recycled change is different. There, there, there's something I hear quite a bit that a lot of people live by. I think that I think is really good. Something along the lines, along the lines of forgetting the past. Right? You ever heard that? Like I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm forgetting it. Like just moving on. There was a big phrase when I was in high school called "keep calm and carry on." Everybody had a shirt that had "keep calm and carry on." Then they like went to "keep calm and chive on" or "keep calm and yoga on." It's like been like seven different spinoffs since then. But the whole premise was "keep calm, carry on." Here's one you guys probably remember: forgive and forget. Right? These are all common things we see and that we that we live by that are all really, really good principles because the premise is our past is the past. We can't change it. We can't fix it. We're just going to move on because there are some things in our past that are worthy of being left behind, right? There are some things that we look back on our past and we're like, ooh, I am not going to go there again. And I think it's so interesting that we live by these phrases because even the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 43, don't dwell on the past. I am doing a new thing. And that's good news. We like new things. We like new cars, we like new houses, we like new decorative pillows. <laughs> Don't lay on them, or sit on them, or look at them wrong, or else we need new ones. <laughs> and they're not cheap. A pillow that you just look at should not be $30. New things are good, even decorative pillows. But there's the past. I feel like no matter who you are, no matter what you've been through, no matter what your life looks like, there's this past, this part of who you are that you want to leave behind. This thing that's like a rock in your shoe that no matter how far you get away, it just is always there bugging you, nagging at you, messing with you, and you just can't shake it. But I think unlike that rock in your shoe, I think that your past actually serves a purpose. Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 and 3. 
In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. King David was a king in Israel. That's why he's called King David, all right? King David was a man after God's own heart. That's how the Bible describes him. King David was a beast. He was awesome. King David was a warrior among warriors, all right? His predecessor Saul basically said, like, I slay thousands, but David slays tens of thousands. He was a man's man, unlike me, all right? He was like the man. He was a warrior. He was a good. He was a man of noble character. Prior to becoming king, he had basically said, like, God's saying, hey, you're going to be the next king, but I want you to just wait. He had every opportunity to take over the throne. He had every opportunity to go and, and kill his predecessor and take over the throne by himself, but he waited. He was a man of noble character. And lastly, he was a man that truly was faithful to God. He loved God. He listened to God. He followed God with every single ounce of his being all the time, which is why he was considered a man after God's own heart. And so here he is. His troops are fighting a battle. They're at war. They're slaying it. And instead of being with his troops, being with his men, David's back in his palace, all with his empty town. And so instead of being with his troops, he's taking the day off. And so he wakes up, he stretches, he looks out the window, and he sees a woman across the way taking a bath without a swimsuit, just to be clear. And he goes... Okay, she's attractive. I got to learn more about her. And as the word says in verse 3 that she was married to Uriah, one of his men. She was a married woman to one of his faithful, noble men. A man surely like David, that's where the story ended, right? He found out that this was a beautiful woman, that she was married, that his, his, her wife or his, her husband was at war. That should have been the end of the story, right? He's a noble man. He's a man of noble character. He's a man after God's own heart. Surely that's where the story ends. Verse 4. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness. And then she went back home and the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Yikes! Yikes! This is bad news. Okay? A man after God's own heart took advantage of a situation. Slept with another man's wife, and now she is pregnant. Bad news. Okay? Really bad news. Surely David will fix it. A man of noble character. Verse 6. 
So David sent his word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, how the war was going. And then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And so Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. If you're a man who slays tens of thousands, if you are a king, you're smart, you're intelligent. You know how to handle things. And so David's smart. David's going, you know what? I bet if I can make Uriah think that this is actually his baby, I'm off the hook. He doesn't have to know that I slept with his wife. He doesn't have to know that that child's actually mine. If I can just send Uriah down the road, he can, you know, be with his wife. And you guys know the rest of the story. And the problem solved, right? He was smart, stupid, but smart. Here's what I think is so interesting. I'm not going to go through every verse by verse, but what actually ends up happening, he sends Uriah down to his house. Uriah washes his feet and sleeps outside. Doesn't go in and be with his wife. So the next morning, David invites Uriah up to his palace. Hey, how was the night? Good, and I slept outside. What? No, you're supposed to be with your wife. Uriah goes, I'm not going to be with my wife when all of my other comrades and peers are fighting for their life. Pretty noble. Pretty faithful. So David's like, I know, I get that, but like, I'm giving you one more day off. Just spend the day with your wife. It's going to be beautiful, and then tomorrow I'll send you back to go and fight. So he sends him away again. That night, doesn't do anything, sleeps outside. Finally, David's like, all right, man, come up. We're going to party, all right? Feeds him a bunch of food, a bunch of drink, gets him a little tipsy and says, all right, man, you go down. Still doesn't do it. David gets desperate in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 14 and 15. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. I want you just to picture this for a second, okay? This noble man, this great man who is being honorable, who's not doing anything wrong, is literally living the best way that he can. He is holding in his hand a letter that is his death sentence. He is literally delivering a message to his military commander that is saying, kill him. Can you imagine that feeling? He doesn't know what's going on. He just knows he's delivering a message to his commander. And then here's where the story ends right here. Verse 16. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Sounds like a man after God's own heart, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Right? Like an adulterer, a liar, a deceiver, a murderer. Surely this is a man after God's own heart, isn't it? 
What happened? How does that, like, how is this slippery slope of this man who's doing so many great things all of a sudden now is doing these horrific things, these awful things? How does this happen? It's so interesting to me that we have this idea of people who love God, who know God, are followers of God, how we think we just that they don't have a past. They don't have things in their life that they did that they regret. You look through the Bible, you have Moses, a man of money you've you probably heard of. Moses killed a man for no reason in the middle of an argument. Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, cheated people out of money as a tax collector. He would literally take every ounce of extra money from poor people, from rich people, and pocket it himself. Peter, another one of Jesus' disciples, denied Jesus three different times. Adam and Eve, the first people that walked the earth, all they had to do was just not eat this one thing that God asked them to do, and they did. And then Mary Magdalene, one of other Jesus' closest people, was demon-possessed. I probably don't have to ask for hands, but I'm guessing um, it's not just Bible people that have a past. I'm sure it's not just people in the Bible that we read about that have things that they did, things that have happened to them, things that they look back on with regret and go, man, that really, really stinks. I know I have. I know I've got plenty of things that I look back and I go, man, I really, really wish I had not done that. And I know that there are people in this room that feel the same way. And so if you're thinking this is the time where I launch into how awful we are and how terrible we are as human beings and Sometimes what the church is really good at, of just making us aware of all of our own inadequacies, I'm going to go a different direction. I'm going to go a Bible-centered direction. Because I believe we all have a past, but that's the exact precise reason we serve Jesus and love Jesus, because he gives us a different out. Change is recyclable. Because we all have things in our life that changed us and not for the better. There are all things about our lives that we wish we could change, that we wish that were different. Pillars of our life that we look back and we go, man, that was a defining moment of my life. Maybe not always for the better. Maybe it was infidelity in a marriage. Maybe it was a sincere and deep pain you caused somebody physically, emotionally, or spiritually. Maybe it was a disintegration of a marriage or disintegration of a family. Maybe it was theft in jail time. Maybe it was whatever it is. Even as I'm talking, we're all aware of the things in our life that we wish we could change. But change is recyclable. It's recyclable. The things in our life that we wish were different, we make it seem like they kept us from our ideal life, right? Like we grow up or we think about even now, whether you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, whatever it is, we have this picture of our ideal life, of who we are, what we want to be, what we want to do. And then we look back and we trace that back to, I did this in my past that kept me from that. And I think that we look at our past that way with such negativity because it feels like the past kept us from our best life. But I would submit to you that the greatest mistakes in your life, in my life, are the greatest things that can be 
use for God. The greatest mistakes in our lives have the ability to inspire the greatest changes in our lives. The very thing that we dwell upon that happened to us that we wish was different could be the very thing that unlocks the best version of our life. If we treat it correctly. Whether it happened last week, last month, last year, it can be repurposed, reworked, and used for something new. But to do that, we have to truly let God work on it. We have to let God handle it, just like he did with David. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, the next chapter, rubber meets the road. All right? David had been sly to this point. He was the king. He called his own shots with really no repercussions. He was the king. Nobody was going to stand up to him. But David quickly forgot that God knows all things. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 12, if you can go back and read it later, God sends a prophet, basically gives him a metaphor. David's like, how dare that guy in that metaphor? And the guy's like, hey, dummy, it's you, okay? You are the guy in the metaphor. And we see in verse 9, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I love one of my favorite Verses and chapters in the Bible is Psalm chapter 51. Because it happens after this moment. I can look back on my life and see the moments of my past that I regret. I can remember the feeling that it caused me. I can remember the feeling that I have in the moment. And when I read verses like this, it gives me so much hope. Because David wrote this psalm shortly after his encounter with Nathan. And I think it's so powerful. Psalm chapter 51. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You'll be proved right in what you say. Your judgment against me is just. I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. He's cut up. When you look at the ancient Hebrew, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, it doesn't encapsulate. David is just destroyed. He is feeling so bad, so guilty, so ashamed, so just taken back. But I love how it switches. That was verses 1 through 5. Watch how it switches in 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. David knew that he screwed up. There was no denying it. No hiding it. He knew. He was well acquainted with the hurt, with the destruction, with the deception that he ripped through the life of Uriah, Bathsheba, his men, with God. He knew well what was going on, but he was asking that God, would you please create in me a clean heart? The one I have right now is not clean. It's destroyed. Instead of just fixing up my heart and making me okay again, create in me something new. 
Isaiah chapter 43, do not dwell on the past for I am doing a new thing. If we want to get to the next spot in our life, if we want to truly leverage the junk of our past, we need to focus on new things. Something fresh. Because change is recyclable. This water bottle is currently holding my water. Now, my wife and I disagree a little bit because uh, I would just throw this in the trash, and uh, she would not, okay? She would just do one of her <clears throat> things, which basically means, like, put that in the recycling now or I kill you, basically. And sometimes I think she will. What I find interesting, though, is this water bottle right now is holding my water. If I were to throw this in the recycling bin... My theory is that it'll inevitably go to a different garbage plant and then it'll be in the same place anyway. My wife, the recycling one, believes it will be its intended purpose. It'll get recycled. I looked up recycling of water bottles specifically this week. I found something really, really interesting. Recycled bottles can be used for clothing material. They can be used for ocean-friendly dog collars. Not sure what that means, but they're ocean-friendly. There's even been certain technological chips and stuff that have used recycled material from water bottles. I find it so interesting because I don't see how that's possible, but what I love about all of that is at no point does plastic stop being plastic. At no point does this water bottle, whether it's in the shape of a water bottle, at the true core of what it is, it's a polymer of different chemicals that is stretch melted and form a water bottle. No matter how much you melt this, break it down, it is still the same polymers of stuff. So whether it's in a water bottle, in a microchip, in a piece of clothing, it's still the same stuff. And so when I say change recyclable, what you've done in your life will not change. You can't erase the past. You can't take it out. You can't wish it was different. The past is the past. But how you see it will change what your life looks like. Because if you repurpose and let God take the junk of your past, the junk that you wish was different, if you let God have it, he's going to repurpose it, rework it, and use it for something constructive. It's not just trash. Your life is not just trash. It's not like you just did something and now your life is over. God intends to use that for something positive. If you let him. If you let him. Moses might have been a murderer, but guess what? He led people up to the point to get into the promised land. Matthew might have been a tax collector, but guess what? He was a man who was really, really, really close with Jesus. Peter might have denied God three different times, but he was the father of the early church. If it wasn't for Peter, you and I wouldn't be here right now. Adam and Eve might have eaten the apple and made the biggest mistake of human history by bringing sin into the world, but God still trusted them to start the rest of humankind. Mary Magdalene might have been demon-possessed at one point, but she was a woman who followed God closer than any up to that point. David might have been an adulterer. He might have been a murderer. He might have been a deceiver. But guess what? He was still a man after God's own heart. Because he let God use him. The difference between a regret-filled life and a purpose-filled life is one simple thing, perspective. Can I tell you something? Um, I used to hate that. 
okay? Like this, these perspective talks, okay? Because I'll go and talk to somebody, like, hey, how are you doing? Ah, I'm struggling. I'm just kind of down on something. Oh, well, just think positive. Why did I not think of that? You know? Like, I, I, I used to hate that because it's like, if it was that easy, I would be doing it already, okay? Like, stop being so sad. Okay, cool, problem solved. Thanks for the chat. I used to hate to just look at things differently, okay? Because it seems so simple. It seems so just like surface level. But then I truly got to a spot in my life where I got to a spot where it's like, I physically can't change what happened. The things that I did, the things how they're still coming back into my life right now, I can't change. And no matter how much I will, no matter how much I want them to, they can't. So I'm sick of feeling this way. I'm sick of feeling like I'm just letting everybody down. I'm letting my family down. I'm sick of feeling like this anchor is pulling me deeper and deeper and deeper into my own junk. I want something different. And I got to a spot where God's like, what if you saw things through my eyes? What if you saw yourself through the way that I see you? It changed me. Because I used to see myself as this thing that was, I'm, I, I'm a screw up. I'm a mistake. I, I screwed up. I did all this other stuff. And instead, God's saying, you know what, Derek? You're chosen. You're loved. You're able. You're capable. You have your stuff, but guess what? So do all the rest of the people that I use in the course of human history. Let me work through your past. Let me use it. Your past can either be a hindrance to what you're going to do in life, or it can be the very catalyst to do something positive. I can't tell you how many people I've been through some tough things, some things that I've been brought on myself, some things that have just been done to me that have been very painful, very dark, that forgive and forget has been a very real thing to me. But can I tell you, there have been so many conversations, so many times of positive things from people who have walked through the same thing. But because I've let God work on it, I've been on the other side of it, he's allowed me to use that for something new. Your past does not have to be an anchor. It can be a launch pad for something new. We underestimate the intentionality between how God made us and when he put us on this earth. Talk about perspective. You can think you're the awful, most horrific human being ever, but guess what? God made you exactly how you are. The very flaws that you have, he put there. The very things that you hate about your body, about your personality, about your demeanor, about how you interact, he put in you. And you know what's also really cool? He has been around since the beginning of time. And he puts you into this place, on this time, in this scenario, for a reason. And so next time you doubt yourself, you're not doubting yourself. You're doubting that God sent you here to this earth for this time. Talk about perspective. You either see yourself through the negative lens or see yourself through God's lens. And when you see yourself through God's lens, you will notice that things are different. You will notice that there's different hope. There's different redemption. There's different purpose. 
I want to finish early today, so I'm going to call Lexi up. As we step into a new season of the bridge, as we step into a transition, as we step into my wife and I and, and, and everything stepping into this spot, there's a lot of questions, understandably. Right now, there's a lot of questions about Pastor Chris and their family, what they're going to do and what they're going to, and, and he's addressed those in depth. But I think there's a deeper underlying question that a lot of you guys probably don't want to ask, but that is there regardless. Can he do this? Do I want to follow them? What's going to be different? Is this going somewhere? There might be questions that, you, that you're too scared to ask because you don't want to hurt my feelings or, or any of that. Can I just tell you that I've asked those questions myself a lot lately. I've got a past, y'all. I've got things that I did that I'm not proud of. I've got flaws of my personality that make it harder for me to just cope with things and do things. I've got a lot. If I, if I want to make a list of things I didn't like about myself, it could be a pretty long list. But I've learned that if I want to truly step into what God wants us to do, I need to see myself through his eyes, not my own. I need to find the freedom and the identity of myself in him versus myself in my own, in my own eyes. The story of David ends with this. That son that Bathsheba and David conceived in their infidelity would go on to die at a very young age. But they would become married because that was the next course of progression. They would bear another son. And his name would be Solomon. The wisest king that has ever walked through Israel. Your story's not finished. The things of your life that are hard and negative, that's not the end. I would submit to you that if you lean into it and let God work on it, it's actually the start of something new. And so we need to have a different perspective. Instead of seeing all the things that it's not and we're not, we need to see all the things that he says we are and that we can do. We need to see our city differently. Instead of seeing St. Francis and Oak Grove and everything else, if you have any negative views about it, I understand. But we got to see it differently. Because God wants to do something new in it. We got to see our families differently. Married people in the room, seriously dating people in the room, really everybody in the room. If you're in any form of relationship, whether romantic or non-romantic, you'll quickly find out there are things about your people around you that can drive you nutty. Okay? We got to see them differently. We got to lean into it. We got to see ourselves differently. Instead of seeing the screw up or the thing that we just, we, we are so good about berating ourselves. We are so good about disqualifying ourselves, about just saying, I'm not good enough. I'm not cut out enough. I'm not ready enough. Yada, yada, yada. We're so good at that. It's natural, right? Our culture is built on, I'm not as good as that person. I'm not as tall as that person. I'm not as strong as that person. 
clearly. But do you know what I am? I can't play guitar, okay? But I can talk in front of people. I'm not tall, but I'm sincere. She's smiling. She wishes I was taller. (laughs) She does. There's a lot of things we aren't, but there's more things that we are. And there is a reason that God has made us the way that we are. And so instead of spending our life trying to be something that we're not created to be, what if we just were who we were supposed to be? How would that change our culture? How would that change our town? Here's what I think is so cool. It's one thing for my wife and I to step into this lead pastor role, but guess what? If we want to see change in our community, it's not going to be because of my preaching. It's because of you taking the love of Jesus out these doors into your world. And so my job is to give you the confidence, the freedom, and, and making you see how special and purposed you are. So when you step out those doors, you're ready to shine light into the darkness. I believe this church is going to grow. I believe this community is going to be on fire for Jesus. And it's not going to be because of me. It's going to be because of all of you in this room. So I'm asking you to be who you are. Don't focus on the things you're not because you're not supposed to be those things. If I was supposed to be a coffee drinking, tight pants guitar player, I would be that. But I'm not. And I've learned when I just be who I am, good things happen. When I spend my life trying to be something I'm not, good things don't happen. So be who you are. I'll tell you this. We can't be who we truly are if we don't let Jesus into our life. So whether you've been far off from him, whether you've never accepted him into your life, or whether you feel like you can't possibly love Jesus because there's this massive beacon in your past that's going, ha ha, who thinks you can be a Christian? I've got a murderer, a liar, and a deceiver telling you that there's really no reason you can't be a believer in Jesus. But you have to invite him into your life. So you guys close your eyes, bow your heads, whatever you're comfortable with. I just want to pray for you. So when you walk out these doors, you would feel empowered to be who you are. God, you have called us and created us to be the people that we are. There are certain quirks, certain personality things, certain attributes of who we are. that maybe we are not our favorite. God, I pray that this week you would speak to us and you would show us those things in a different light. You would show us, Jesus, how you desire to use those very things for your kingdom and for your purpose. So when we walk out of these doors, we feel encouraged about the new things that are happening. But God, I believe there are people in this room right now who the past has defined them Maybe it's kept them from living life they're meant to live, but even deeper than that, it's kept them from you because they don't feel good enough. They don't feel like they're worthy enough. But Jesus, that's why you came because nobody on the face of the planet is good enough to be loved by you. But guess what, Jesus? You, you came and died so that we can love you and you loved us first. It's not about what we do 
because there's no, not, not enough good and not too much bad that can keep us from you. So for the person in that room, in this room, may they just simply, even right now as I'm speaking, just say, Jesus, I'm sorry for how I've messed up. Would you please be a part of my life in creating me something new? And you're there, Jesus. We believe, God, that you're doing something new in our hearts, something new in our church, something new in our city, our state, and our world. We're ready for it, God. Would you speak to us? Would you help us? Would you empower us to be the people that we are? Children of God, brothers and sisters of Jesus, bringers of light into our dark world. Use us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.